Welcome to the Serving Church Fellowship study of Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. If you've had a chance to read through the chapter, I'm sure it's been impressive, and it's sometimes possibly uh, a little murky in some areas. So let's jump into it. And, uh, and see what God has for us. If you remember in, in chapter 12, we were introduced to four personages in the scriptural sidebar. Remember chapters uh, 12 through 15 are sidebars. They're like side stories that explain the details of what's happening in the, in the main event. Hey, John, I'm going to mute you. Is that all right? We're getting a little bit of feedback. You get you getting feedback? Yeah, we're getting a little feedback there. There, that that's good. You're good there. We're good. That sounds good. Okay. Um, so again, uh, chapters twelve through fifteen are like sidebars. They're uh, side explanations of of what's going on. And so uh, we were introduced in chapter twelve to four of these uh, personages. In the Revelation, we saw the woman representing Israel. We saw Satan as the beast, uh, the son, Jesus Christ, of course, the archangel Michael, and a people group, the, uh, the remnant of the nation of Israel. And so chapter 13 now is introducing us to two new personages, the beast arising from the sea and then the beast arising from the earth. And uh, remember that some of these things are happening simultaneously. They're not necessarily chronological. Uh, The point here is that God asked John to help uh, give us additional details about these main characters that are are playing a part in this particular uh, uh, era. So we're in this press-pause time, and uh, here's how the chronology rolls out. Again, just to remind you, if you were to connect the end of chapter 11 with the beginning of chapter 16, this is how it would sound. Then in heaven the temple of God was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible fire hailstorm. And then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So, that's the end of chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 16. What we're looking at now is what happens in between and what is happening in some cases simultaneously. Okay, as we look at this, we are probably, as best as we can tell, in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. All right, so three and a half years have expired. There's three and a half to go, so we're just about in the middle. And the point here, again, is for John to show us the main players who are going to enter the scene after the sounding of the seventh trumpet. So as we begin chapter 13, we need to note that John is moving into metaphorical narrative here. Uh, So we have to pay close attention to what those metaphors represent. Symbolism is really very, very heavy in chapter 13, and I'll do my best to explain uh, the symbolism as as we understand it. (laughs) 
Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were the names that blasphemed God. All right, there's great symbolism here, and, and so here we go. We're about to see with this beast the emergence of the Antichrist as the beast coming out of the sea. And then the false prophet is going to follow him in chapter 13 as the beast coming out of the earth. So the beast coming out of the sea is the Antichrist, as best we understand it. The beast arising from the earth is known as the false prophet. Now, notice the description of this beast arising uh, from the sea is very close to the description of the red dragon, uh, which is Satan, with very slight difference. The red dragon is described in uh, chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, as having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on its heads. The beast rising out of the sea has seven heads, the same, ten horns, the same, but ten crowns on its horns, and that's a slight deviance, which is important, showing that the beast arising out of the sea in chapter 13 is like, but not exactly, the description of Satan in chapter 12. Satan, remember, described as the, as the red dragon. So here's the symbolism of this beast now that's rising out of the, uh, out of the sea. And again, if you have questions, don't hesitate to interrupt me. I, if I'm going too fast, let me know. The sea, metaphorically, represents all of humanity. The sea of, of humanity, if we can think of it that way. Therefore, it is thought that the Antichrist here is a Gentile, not a Jew. He's not arising from the Middle East. He's not arising from uh, Jerusalem. He's arising out of the sea of humanity, and probably a Gentile, not a Jew. And if you remember from chapter 12, the ten horns represent ten kings, and the crowns indicate royalty. So recall there are ten kings in the final half of the tribulation period, but a new king arises, and he will do away with three of the other kings, which leaves seven. That's about the extent of my advanced math right, right there. So to be clear, chapter 13, we're looking at ten nations represented by ten horns in the Middle East. So now in the midst of those ten nations arises the Antichrist. I'm going to go back to Daniel 7 now and see if we can connect some dots, okay? So we're going to go back to Daniel 7, uh, beginning in verse 2. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of the great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. The lion is thought to be and represent Babylon. 
Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, Get up, devour the flesh of many people. So the bear here is thought to represent the Medo-Persian empire. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, says Daniel in verse 6, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads. I think I worked for that person a long time ago. Anyway, great authority <laughs> was great authority was given to this beast. Now, this beast, the leopard, is thought to be Greece, the empire of, of Greece. All right, verse seven. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. And this is this new empire, probably led by the Antichrist. Verse 8, as I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it, and this little horn had eyes like uh, human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. All right, so in reviewing that, there are and have been about six great empires throughout uh, world history. Egypt... Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And, of course, none of these empires uh, still exist, but there's a, a new empire coming about halfway through the tribulation period. And see, the Antichrist is going to sneak onto the world stage and ultimately bring this seventh final world empire, this uh, globalist nation, um, will come to pass. Now, it's interesting. What does the number seven represent in Scripture? The perfect number. Perfect number, a number of completion. So the seventh empire is going to complete world history in terms of the empires, all right? And so we don't know if this empire is being built yet. Uh, when we talk about a new world order and you hear that, that's maybe what it is. Uh, so here's the seventh new world empire that's about to rise. And uh, the Antichrist will seem like an outsider at first but he's going to cunningly, very deceptively gain power. And he's going to appear to bring unity and justice to the world. He's going to appear like a good guy. He, he's going to promise to bring peace to the world. And he's not going to come up arrogantly and say, I'm it. Uh, he's going to kind of uh, uh, very slowly begin to build his power base. And so at first people will think, that he's a man of peace, that he's bringing peace, and that he's qualified to bring the new world order. But and there, in this time, 
everybody's looking for that. Everybody's looking for everybody's it. Everybody's looking for that. I mean, somebody come along and present that. They are, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, can't, can't you see this rolling out in real time now? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying yeah. Yeah. we need to watch for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and if it's not rolling out now, it, it, you can tell what it'll look like whenever. Exactly. Yeah. So you're saying, you're saying that it could come from anywhere, um, that it's Gentile, so it could come from any continent. The Antichrist, yes. And, and remember, okay. <clears throat> as you read here that he arises from the sea, of it's the sea of humanity. Uh, this is, uh, again, chapter 13 is largely metaphorical in order to describe, and, and you know how Jesus, we talked about this before, how Jesus used parables, used stories, uh, so that people would remember them. And it appears that's what, <clears throat> that's what John is doing here, is he's trying to get us... Uh, get some mental hooks for us so that we can picture this beast rising from the sea, but the sea represents the sea of humanity. So yes, probably a Gentile, Lori, and um, could could be coming from uh, anywhere and be of, of, any, of any nationality. Okay, uh, so I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It had seven heads, ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were the names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, which is Greece, but it had the feet of a bear, that's the Medo-Persia Empire, and the mouth of a lion. Remember the lion representing Babylon. So we see three <clears throat> of those empires described in this beast uh, rising out of the sea of humanity. And then there's a very significant statement. N notice how slowly we have to proceed through this chapter just to, to get the, the content. We're only at verse 2 here. And then a very significant statement here at, at uh, the end of verse 2. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Right, so this is the Antichrist rising out of the sea of humanity. It's the, the lawless one that Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 2. Um, yeah, allow me to read that, because I think this is uh, important, because I think it gives, it gives added weight and understanding here to Revelation 13. This is Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Verse 3, don't be fooled by what they say, for the day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. <clears throat> don't you remember... 
that I told you about <clears throat> all of this when I was with you. And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, <clears throat> and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Verse 9, This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. And then uh, let me just read the end here of verses 13 to, uh, <clears throat> to 16. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. This is Paul's words to us right now. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. And then there's this wonderful benediction. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace, give us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. All right, so Paul is reminding us when this goes down, we're to stand fast, which is what Peter reminded us uh, as well, uh, to, to stand fast and, and resist, not to attack, but to resist knowing what's, what's true. All right, so, um, yes. Michael Douglas? Yes. You know, uh, it's, very, it's very good that you are totally, you know, covering this and what, you know, Scripture says by what John is stating and to stand firm. But isn't it interesting, you also use the word deception, but as believers, even though we do love the Lord, you see that happening where people on social media is predicting this is, you know, the beginning of the end time, right? Mm-hmm. That's a part of deception there. I, I honestly don't believe this is the beginning. Um, I honestly believe that we ought to stand firm. And only God knows and when God's timing is going to happen, Right. But I see there's a lot of words being used and messages that is on social media that is causing some type of deception from believers. Yes, and Roshni, later on in chapter 13, although we may not get to it today, we may get about halfway through, um, we will actually see that deception going on, and it will be articulated. And so, yeah, you're, you're exact, exactly right. And, and remember, the, the point of this, the point of revelation is not for us to pinpoint when Jesus is coming back. That's not why it's given to us. 
The point is for us to recognize the signs of the end times, uh, the, the, the eschatology of what's going to happen, so that it builds in us an urgency for carrying the gospel forward. Our response is not, is not to uh, be afraid. It, it's not to build bunkers and hide behind them. The point of all this is to say to us, there's urgency. This is coming down. And so, A, be prepared so you know how to handle it if it occurs in your time. And, B, carry forth the gospel. Carry forth the mission that Jesus gave us to love God with everything we have, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to, as we are going, to make disciples of all nations. Okay, so... I think some people get into the mistaken idea that all all of this is about if we try hard enough and if if we study hard enough, we'll know when Jesus is coming back. Not the point here. We know he's coming back. We know only the Father knows the time, and he'll tell the Son when it's time. So the point here is for us to be ready and for us to have an urgency about the mission of carrying forth the gospel, if if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do believe that is what what you're saying. I believe that there's an urgency here for us as believers to be convicted of what our purpose and why God has saved us to be the vessel, you know, yes. to reach out to those and to build that relationship with those that do not know Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That's what I said out of this whole thing, you know, uh, as well as a celebration that's going to happen for us as believers. Exactly. All right, so we're about at the halfway point on chapter 13. So let me do this before we move on to verse um, uh, 11. Watch, I'm going to reread this short passage, but as I reread it with what we've just talked about, watch for 10 things. Just Keep them in your head as we reread this. One, the beast has supernatural power that's going to wow the world. It's going to cause the world to worship him as a wonderful peacemaker. Two, at the beginning of the Antichrist rise for power, there's going to be no bloodshed. The beast, the Antichrist, is going to appear to bring peace and a one-world order that the world is going to say, finally, it's here. It's going to be a bloodless takeover at that point. Three, watch for the pivot. There's going to be a 180 that's going to happen here after the Antichrist gets most everybody on his side. He turns on them with a murderous spirit that's given to him by the dragon, by, by Satan. Four, He is going to rule over every tribe, people, language, and nation. He will establish his one-world order. It will come to pass. Five, he's going to abolish other religions. Any religion that is antithetical to the truth of Jesus Christ, he's going to to promote those religions— and he's going to do everything in his power to wipe out Christianity. So as you start to think about court cases and laws, 
that's probably how he's going to do it at the beginning. Again, a bloodless takeover. All right, number six. He will, at that tipping point, demand that the world worship him. Not not just vote for him, but worship him as the one world uh, leader. Number seven. It's going to be a satanic world government and religion. And only those who stand firm in their faith are going to be saved into eternity. Many people are going to be deceived by this, and they're going to be caught up in in the evil and the deception. Uh, Number eight, the new world church will blaspheme Jesus Christ. It will be very clear. There's not going to be... Well, you know, like uh, Roshni, I think Hinduism, right? That well, Jesus is a prophet. You know, uh, there will be no honoring of Jesus Christ at all. He will be totally blasphemed in this new world order. Uh, number nine: there is no message to the church here. Why? Well, if you, as I do, and again, you're free to believe what you want. This is where I'm at at this point anyway. I, I do believe there will be a, a, a rapture before, a pre-tribulation rapture. And it, there's no warning to the church here because the church is gone. That's a theory that many of us have in the, in the pre-tribulation rapture anyway. <clears throat> and I know you can make cases for, uh, for mid-trib and post-trib as well. But uh, I think that lends credence. No word to the church here because it's not on earth anymore. It's, it's, it's in heaven. All right, and finally, number 10, as we read through this. Those who come to Christ in the last half of the tribulation are going to be martyred by the Antichrist. They are going to be martyred by the Antichrist. So those people who accept Christ during the tribulation are going to be martyred guarantee. So with all of that, let me, let me read uh, these first 10 verses again and just kind of keep that in your mind as we go through it. Then I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months, three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world, all the people who belong to this world, worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names are not written 
in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. And this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Right. So the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, has cunningly, almost imperceptibly at first entered the world stage. He's established the devil's political system, and he has eradicated, he thinks, all other religions and their systems. So the political stage is set. The Antichrist is mostly political. And now the religious stage is going to be set by the main character called the false prophet, who is the, the beast that rises from the earth, beginning in Revelation 13.11. Have I confused all of you sufficiently with all of that, or is, is, is that making sense? I'm sorry. I'm I'm still a little bit like um, at the point in my thoughts of wondering this. Since Satan was in heaven, right, and still has access to heaven back and forth, Mm -hmm. and it was him that basically uh, was jealous of God and wanted to worship, be worshipped. And, of course, he was the person that was the one that went against God, right, in the beginning, right? Right. So we, we know of Satan, who Satan is in the Bible, and how God describes him to be. But it's very interesting now that we see in Revelation, Antichrist, okay, which is he's going against Christ. But there's no name to him, right, just as Antichrist he is identified as you're exactly right he has no other name other than the antichrist and as we Mm -hmm. see here he gets his power from satan directly okay my thinking is why you know why not satan being you know the antichrist right i mean i don't know why i think this way but i'm just thinking this way because uh, it could be because Satan was the one that was identified from the beginning, from Genesis. It was Satan in the garden, right? And yes. so we see it through all along, through the Bible. But in Revelations, we see Antichrist is the one that is going to be the destructive character, the spirit. The Let me offer the, you... A very, a very interesting concept that may explain this. We know the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Trinity. There is an unholy Trinity. Satan, the counterfeit God the Father, the Antichrist, the counterfeit son, Jesus Christ, and the false prophet who brings the religious sense to all of this, the counterfeit Holy Spirit. So what we're seeing here is a distorted image 
of the Trinity, but it is an evil Trinity. Instead of God the Father, it's Satan. Instead of God the Son, it's the Antichrist. Instead of God the Holy Spirit, it's the false prophet. And we'll see that as, as we kind of plumb the depths of the rest of chapter 13, that the false prophet, the, the Antichrist, brought the political realm into being here. The false prophet now is going to add the spiritual realm as the Holy Spirit added the spiritual realm to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Got to think through that a little bit. Um, so I, I, I just want to give you that, that picture, Roshni. Uh, and, and it's interesting that the enemy is not going to do this himself. He's going to use the Antichrist and use the false prophet to set things up for what he thinks will be his ultimate conquering of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, and, and the takeover of, of the kingdom. Um, so it's, uh, again, the, the best way that I can explain that in terms of escala uh, uh, eschatological theory is it's the evil trinity at work here. And those mirror images, those distorted mirror images are, are very interesting because each one mirrors, mirrors the function of the Holy Trinity, hmm. but in an evil way. All right, let me, uh, anything else, Roshni, on that? I, uh, I just thought that was an interesting concept maybe to, to think about. Yeah, I mean, you really make it easy because I needed to see more depth into this in regards to the breakdown. Now, does Satan has, I know God has power over Satan and the Antichrist, but does Satan have power over the Antichrist? Who has power yes. over the other more? Okay. Yes. Yeah, if, if you think of it like a... Um org chart <laughs> Satan's at the top he's the CEO and then emanating from him is the Antichrist uh -huh. and the false okay. prophet and then there's a connection between the Antichrist and the false prophet actually the false prophet is uh, providing support for the Antichrist. So as, as we're going to see, and I think we'll probably stop here for this week, because otherwise we'll be here for another 45 minutes. Heavy stuff coming up in the rest of this chapter. Uh, but are uh, they coming from the same area? Meaning they may come from completely separate parts of the world, correct? The false prophet yeah, we, and the Antichrist. Not uh, related at all. The, well, the Antichrist is going to be a Jew. So, oh, so they will be different. Okay, Jew and Gentile. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Reversed. <laughs> reversed. I'm sorry. The, uh, the Antichrist rising from the sea is a rising from the sea of humanity. So the Antichrist will be a Gentile. All right. Correct. The false prophet 
rises from the earth. And although it's kind of difficult to identify, he could be also from the Jewish people, although we can't make a definite case there. But definitely the Antichrist arising from the sea of humanity is, is not likely to be a Jew. He's going to be a Gentile. And probably already born now, if we're going as fast as we are to chaos. Could could be, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, I mean, I you know you look you look back in history, and you know none of us were around during World War II. Um, as thinking adults, I'm I'm guessing. Well, I'm not guessing. I know from from writings and and historical commentaries that people thought Hitler was the Antichrist. Remember, he comes on the world stage and he appears to be a peacemaker and and he's going to uh, bring uh, prosperity to everyone and 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 there won't be any class systems anymore. Blah blah blah. And he suddenly does a 180 and becomes this murderous guy. I, a lot of people thought he was the Antichrist. So uh, yeah. we, we don't know for sure. The point is, though, we need to be ready and recognize the dangers. So for us, and I want to get into something next week. I don't want to get into it this week because uh, it'll, it'll take too long. But I think we have to watch these news reports with the precision of a surgeon and a scalpel. Start dissecting what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and start matching it up to these narratives that we see in Revelation. Not for the purpose of saying, it's happening, no, no, but to say, wow, I can see how this could turn out to be the Antichrist, or I can see how this might turn out to be the New World Order. Uh, you know, so, I, I, again, not for the purpose of saying it's happening now, not at all, because only God knows, literally, when when Jesus is coming back and, and when the tribulation period either starts where the middle is or the end is, uh, when Christ returns. Uh, but as I'm listening, as I'm watching, and I'm taking time to dissect what I'm seeing, I, I see elements of what's happening in here. And, and again, only to say I need to be aware that it just it's Jesus saying to me more the urgency now to to bring the gospel to the world and and to follow my my commands. So could the could the great reset that has started and that is supposed to uh, be uh, back in um, meeting uh, in January? Could that be part of the because they're putting together a new world order? Yeah, I think, uh, though, what we need to watch for is this one person who begins to take the spotlight in terms of establishing the the New World Order. Okay. Uh, you know, it, in, in other words, what we have to be careful of is watching for one element 
and saying, there it is, what we have to watch for are all the elements. Because John is not saying, if some of this occurs, it's an indication that the end times, no, it's the whole thing. So we have to be aware of watching for all of it. Watch for the, watch for the Antichrist, uh, a Gentile. Watch for the false prophet who's going to establish a, a religion that's blasphemous and that will support the worship. Again, the false prophets, the false, we'll get into this. I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, his job is going to be to bring the world to their knees in front of the Antichrist to worship him. So the Antichrist first is a political figure that gains notoriety and gains positive um, press because he's a peacemaker. And then once he's got established, then enter the false prophet who's going to bring the religious part and marry it up to the political part. And that's so what they do not come together. We're not looking at them coming in yet. No. Now, it could be that they're almost on top of each other, but as you're looking at the function of the Antichrist, uh, obviously he's going to be doing quite a lot of work. And while he's doing that, then the false prophet is going to begin bringing that religious uh, aspect to... uh, to the Antichrist. And, and remember, ultimately, the Antichrist is going to be in, in uh, his own temple in Jerusalem, and he's going, to be demand, he's going to demand the world worship him. That's all because of the work of the false prophet. That, that's, that is a product of his, of his cunning work as well. And again, who's, who's giving them all the powers to do this? It, it's Satan. And so the Antichrist and the false prophet are receiving their power and their marching orders from the dragon or, or, or Satan. And, and this is at the beginning of the, of the seven years, or is this in the middle of the, seven, the three and a half years into it? Yes, I, I side with those who say that this is happening around the middle. Uh, the, the, around the middle. Okay. Not, not to make a pun, but the revelation of these people, uh, the revealing of these people is, is probably going to occur because the world's in turmoil. Right. The world is in turmoil, and they're looking for a savior. And here comes this guy who is appearing to be for everyone, and he's going to be uh, executing these uh, peace treaties across the world. And uh, people are going to hail him as, you know, we need this. This is the new world order, the peace, finally, that we've always been looking for. And uh, that, that is, th- then we're probably right here at the middle of the tribulation period when, um, they, you know, the, Pastor David often said, the enemy always overplays his hand. Uh, this overplaying of the hand, this tipping point, uh, I believe is probably going to be around mid mid tribulation uh, uh, period here, according to um, uh, according what John is is giving us here. So we could be in it right now. We could be in the period leading up to the three and a half years. We could be all the world in chaos right now. Could be that chaos that we're sensing. 
I, I don't. The good versus the evil that's going on right now. No question about that. Well, yeah, Uh, I, I, I think we're seeing the signs. My personal opinion is we have not entered the tribulation period yet. I don't think it's bad enough yet. It's not bad enough. I think it'll get much worse. People think it's. I say I just think it'll get much worse. I mean, for one thing is, my life isn't bad, and I have an idea. By the time the tribulation gets here, my life would be bad. Yeah. And I don't plan on being here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But and the question would be is is that does it take a while to for all of us to have it be bad? And well, uh, we're it, only at the beginning of it right now. We're not well, everybody. Is it bad. depends. I think the beginning, they said the same thing back. Pastor Mike said World War II. I think right. Thessalonians. I mean, people. Yep. One thing is, I, be, I don't believe, I really don't, deep in my heart, it says we do not know when the, the Lord is coming. And I don't think he'll let one of us get a close to an idea when that'll be. Yeah, I just don't I, think I, we're going to have a special person that's going to have the insight. I just don't. I, I, I agree with you on that. And again, if you hold to a pre-trib viewpoint, and again, my faith doesn't rise and fall under on pre-trib, yeah, right. mid-trib okay? Right. If it's post-trib, my faith remains the same. You know, I may be wrong, <laughs> and I've been wrong before, okay? So, <laughs> but I hope the, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, I believe that with, with a lot of scholars that we're not going to be here. We're we're going to be taken out yeah. uh, to heaven, not taken out by the enemy. But yeah, yeah. Heaven, you know, by. Sandra, did you have a question a while back? I'm going to wait till it's a better time. We're at the close right now. And my question was for a lot of minutes. Okay. So <laughs> Would you save, save that then for next week? And I and will. I want to make sure we answer that for you. Okay, I okay. want to make a plug here. I got a plug. Yes, man has uh, a plug. Yes. <laughs> I think one of the ways we can be more alert to this is to listen to Pastor Mike's blog every week. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. It has <laughs> really changed my perspective. <laughs> well, let me... I want to say this. Um, There's tremendous warfare surrounding that, and Lori knows this. Um, I come very reluctantly uh, to Tuesday and Thursday. It's a fight. It is a flat-out spiritual fight to to do those two and it's not i don't want to it's not about me i think it's about the subject matter and that the enemy doesn't want people to think that this has a spiritual yeah tone to it he wants it to appear non-spiritual and so and I'll I'll just say this very quickly, and I know we're running we're we're running a little over on time here. Back in 1997, when El, Ed Silvoso visited us here in Modesto, and we launched the Lighthouses of Prayer and that whole movement that you know brought 
hundreds of of us men to promise keepers in Oakland. Da 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 da. da. Uh, it was a it was a unique movement of God for the time where it appeared that the Church of Modesto was was unified, but it had unseen fissures, and and God exposed those for a purpose, not not for blame purposes, but to make us more healthy as a, as a community of, of spiritual leaders. Pastors died during that time, one of them at a prayer summit while we were praying. Family members of pastors got really sick with cancer. I have not seen anything like this again until right now. You look at Glenn Berteau, you look at Rick Brown, Pastor Verna Brown, Pastor Rick Brown, and yeah. he's in a, still in a coma after how many months? Three, three months, maybe? Three, four, four, four yeah. months. Four yeah. months. Um, Brenda, hospitalized in, in North Carolina. Um, maybe my own quick, I don't know, it was quick, bout with, with, with cancer this is not this is all these are all points interconnecting with each other in my mind to show we are under heavy 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 spiritual attack Ravi Zacharias Ravi Zacharias Billy Graham uh, and, and I understand Billy Graham was old, okay, but I, I think the significance is that many of the great evangelists are are now being taken to heaven, and there's sickness appearing within the church at, at a very rapid rate, and that's not to that's not to be um, fearful. It's just to recognize that we're in a great spiritual battle right now. And two things I think are very necessary. One is we need to keep studying very intently. We need to discern what truth is and look for the, the voice of God and the cacophony of what's happening around us. And then also we need to go through what David uh, David of old went through in in Psalm one thirty nine. Search me, O God. You know, test me. You know, he's asking God to take God's Klieg light and shine it into every crevice of my life. David says, and show me if there's anything uh, that's untoward, unholy, so that I can I can remove it. We need to be doing that right now. If there's any, and asking God to do this, show me if there's anything in me that does not please you so that I can remove it and, and, and ask forgiveness and repent. We have to be on our top spiritual game right now because the enemy is primed to pick us all off. Um, so, long answer to, uh, and, and I thank you, Ann, that's very gracious of you to, to mention that. There's tremendous warfare that surrounds, in fact, I'd be okay about not doing another one, but I, I feel... Oh, well, I'm not okay with you not doing <laughs> I, 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 I feel compelled that, at least for now, we need to continue with it, and, 
And so we'll we'll continue with that for a while. And again, I, that was a very gracious comment. Well, it really part. helps me. To, I probably, I mean, I probably, I didn't know, I don't know much any political, I don't listen. Um, even if I listen, I don't take it in. So um, it's good. It's good teaching for me. <laughs> and and again, I, I, this last week, I was really surprised how much scripture after a listening, I had to go read Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, there, there's a, you know, there, there are, the, the enemy has, well, you know, Anne, the enemy has yeah. planted people in that. And, and so that's why I've not taken phone calls for a while. Yes. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah. There, yeah. There's yeah. tremendous uh, opposition. Yeah. And the other thing is I, I approach it very honestly saying, I don't claim to be right. I'm just yeah. sharing with you my process through this. And if that's a benefit to you, Awesome. If you think I'm all wet, that's okay because we're having triple digit temperatures, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really very wise that you tell them to send you emails instead of taking phone calls. Yeah. Well, I and, and the, there's also been the devil and the technology. Well, too. I'm sure. But, but it's, <laughs> so that it's I mean, so it, what they're having on the telephone. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, Anne, thank you again. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and, and Sandra, make sure you hold your questions for next week. We want to make sure yes, we we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, you, any other quick comments? Uh, we've gone way over time. Any other quick comments before we close today? I'm just really uh, thinking about one thing, about the Antichrist and Satan. So in this day and age, and, you know, for all these years, you know, they pretty much are – having a dialogue don't you think so all these years till you know christ comes i'm sure there's dialogue going on between them right well i think it well it it depends on whether the antichrist has been born yet the antichrist is not eternal but okay the the antichrist is a created being human um and so you know as as opposed to the antichrist being a an a, one of the fallen angels uh, there's no indication of of that uh i think we're looking at a a human being in the same with with the false prophet same with the two witnesses on god's side um does the enemy has he been planning this for a long time? Yes, a- absolutely. Um, now you know we can theorize about it. The, the 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 you know the the fact is we only know what Scripture gives us about uh, the Antichrist himself, and so you know it's it's a little bit dangerous to go to go beyond that. But certainly, um, the enemy has his plans in place because God revealed those plans to John. And so these these plans are are already in place. It's just the personages to carry them out may or may not have appeared yet. 
And the reason why I say, I think, okay, why I say this is because a lot of times, too, we don't know the whole story of the Bible, right? I mean, we get what God gives us, right? Right. So that's why I came to that, you know, question and wondering also what is, is there a dialogue that has been going on that we just don't know about, maybe? I, I don't know. It's just because there's so much stuff that hasn't been revealed to man because God wants us not to be revealed for a reason. Yeah, I, it, it's like uh, getting back to Anne's thing about the, the, the podcast. I, I keep reinforcing, look at the facts, then develop your opinion about the facts, acknowledge your emotional response to the facts, and then develop your response after you've looked at all three. So in terms of the facts, the pure facts, we can only go on what Scripture gives us. Then that second step is the interpretation phase. That's where it gets a little dicey. That's where we get into differences in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial, millennial, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So it's important uh, that in the fact, that first phase, fact-finding phase, that we don't go beyond what we're told. Using Paul's thorn in the side as an example. We don't know what is thorn in the side. We know he had a thorn in the side. That's scriptural. We know that for a fact. What it was is our opinion or our evaluation of what it might be, but we don't know that for sure. And then why it was given to him, well, he tells us to keep himself humble. And then, you know, we think about our emotional response to that. How would I feel? You know, would that humiliate me or humble me? You know, how how would I act? Um, so anyway, I think, Roshni, the important thing there is not the theory that comes out of step two. It's acknowledging the boundaries of what we know as fact in step one, and not to confuse that with steps two and three. Okay. 